Welcome each and every one of you here to East Hills of Baptist Church. For those that are in attendance, for those that are online, 
want to welcome you to our service this morning. And also, we still have uh, some uh, church members that come to our parking lot and listen as well. And we're going to keep that going during this COVID season. But I want to thank you so much for being here this morning. And before we go any further, I'm going to ask Kathy Johnson to come forward. She's going to talk to us about Christmas in T-Bill. You know, we've been doing this for several years. And Kathy, for those who may be new or those watching online, if you don't mind explaining what Christmas in T-Bill is before you give us the rest of the information. Thank you. Christmas in Teeville is where we as a church support Tellersville Elementary School with Christmas. There's kids there that don't get anything for Christmas unless we help them. Their parents can't afford it or they don't live with their parents for some reason. But we are their Christmas. And we give these presents to their parents or their guardians and they give it to them from them. We don't want these kids to know it comes from us. But we also give to their siblings. And a lot of those, I mean, none of those would get Christmas without us either. They may not go to Tulsa school, they may be in junior high or high school, but we're still their Christmas. We give them two changes of clothes. We try to give them two pairs of shoes, a pack of underwear, a pack of socks, a coat, because a lot of them come to school with no coat all winter until they get that Christmas coat. We give them a couple toys. And usually we give them a box of food, but this year we're not going to be doing food because of all the COVID and money. But we try to supply them with the needs they have to go to school for the rest of the year. But I'll tell you one story. One of my grandsons came home one day, and when he goes to Hid Night, and he asked us, he said, Mama, do you do Christmas in Hid Night too? And I told him, no, we don't. And he told me of a little girl in his classroom, and the brother was in my other grandson's classroom, and he said, they need clothes. They've, have, they've worn the same shirt and the same pants and the same shoes to school every single day this year, and they get dirty. <laughs> and he said, they don't have any other clothes. So we, as a church, did help that family. I called the school, and they weren't on the list. They had lived with their grandmother, and she didn't know anything about Christmas at midnight. So anyway, we did help them. And thank you for that, because we had to come to some of you and ask for more money, and you came through. But this year, we're not going to be handing out families like we usually do. We expect to have about 100 kids this year, and that's 20 more than we had last year, I think. But... It's more than we usually have, but the need is greater. But we know with COVID and a lot of people out of work, we may not get what we have been getting because to do 100 kids, that's $20,000. But we have never in the history of doing this, and I think this is the eighth year, ever turned away a child. We've never had to. So anyway, we're gonna be collecting money this year. All the money has to go through the church and it has to be marked Christmas in T-Bill. The envelope has to be marked, and the check has to be marked. If it's cash, just put it in an envelope and mark that Christmas in T-Bill. But everything will go through the church this year, and we'll use the church credit card to do all the shopping. And when we do all the shopping at one time, we can get a lot of good deals. We can save a lot of money by doing it this way, and it may not cost $200 a kid. We're going to try to keep it down to $100 a kid this year, if we can. But anything you can give and anybody you can get money from to give to Christmas in Teeville will be appreciated because 
there's a lot there's a lot of people not in church because of COVID, and they may not hear this. So spread the word and get us some money. <laughs> we need it bad. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Kathy. Thank you. Okay. She sanitized her hand. She said. Uh, also, I'd like to say, if I have any friends on social media, every year I'll get contacted by someone on social media and say they'd like to ha help a family. Uh, so if that is you this year, please contact me before the week of, because uh, whenever we give out these gifts, we do it all in about two or three days. Typically, families will come here in our fellowship hall, and they'll, they'll pick up their gifts. So if you'd like to help a family, uh, you don't have to be a member of this church to help one of these families. But thank you, Kathy, for what you do. Like she said, 100 children this year, more than likely. We spend close to fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year every year on Christmas and T-Bill. That's our ministry to Tell Elementary School. So thank you very much for doing that. I want to ask you to stand with us and sing worship, worship and praise with us as the praise team leads us in song.
Well, amen. I want to share with you in Proverbs 14, verse 34. And I pray this week that you'll be in prayer for our nation as we have, we're in a crossroads and we need to be praying for our nation, for our church. The Bible says this, Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts the nation. It also does the individual, the scripture says, but sin is reproach to any people. Join me in prayer this morning. Father, we're so grateful that you're on your throne and Father, we come to exalt you. The Lord, help us, Lord, to be people of righteousness. Help the church to wake up and, Lord, to, to live for you and to look within. Look at our own sin. And, Lord, to know that sin is reproach to any of us. And, Lord, no one is immune. The Lord, help us to be right with you. We pray for, Lord, our country. We pray for our nation. Lord, we pray for this week as, Lord, people go out. May they vote according to the biblical truths of your word. May your people rise up and live in righteousness as a nation. And Father, help us, Lord, to, to run from the sin that would destroy us. Help us to repent as a church and as an individual. Lord, to turn to you and ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sin. Forgiveness of what we have done. And Father, we pray like Nehemiah prayed. Father, you would forgive us of our sins and our father's sins. Lord, that we might once again be a nation that would rise up and stand and worship you and bless you for you're worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Here am I, send me Here am I, 
So we've sang that song a lot, and I'm not good at talking. I can sing more than I can talk, but I've really been thinking about this song a lot this week, and for those of you that don't know, I teach eighth grade, and I've always heard this song and thought, no, these are for people that go overseas. These are for people that go missionaries, but it's not. Every day, some kid says to me, Miss Simpson, can I talk to you in the hall? I've got a problem. Can I talk to you in the hall? And I go out in the hall with them, and I talk to them. I try to filter in God and Jesus and, and pray, but sometimes I feel not comfortable doing that because I don't want to lose my job. But that's wrong, and I should be standing up, and I should do more than I do. I do a little bit, but I should do more than I do in this I really feel convicted, and I appreciate your prayers, to be able to really, really share my faith with these kids every day at school, because um, some of them really, really do need to hear it. Anyway, I just would appreciate that. Thank you. God is calling us to be different to be countercultural, to be non-conformist. Do not be conformed to the world. Don't live your life like the unbeliever next door. Here is a wonderful supernatural process as we begin to follow Jesus Christ. The more we look at Christ and the more we love Christ, the more we become like Him. And so over the months, over the years, as we focus on Christ, as we say no to the world, we become more and more like Jesus. God is conforming us to the image of His Son. You say, well, if God is doing it, what, what am I to do? You have a responsibility to be transformed. You have a responsibility not to be conformed to the world, and you are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit who's at work in your life. How am I going to resist the world? How am I going to be transformed, set apart, so that I'm living for Christ? A mind renewed by the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Last week we looked at verse 1. This week we're going to look at verse 2. And the title of the message this morning is Transformed. And it really speaks about what Amanda was talking about and what our praise team was singing about. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. And let's look at verse 2 if you'll stand with me. One verse today. We got three really good points. And I will say this. Just last week we looked at verse 1. We talked about being a living sacrifice. And I said the, really the key word in that verse is the word present. Something you have to do is something you do after you're saved. There's a moment in time in your life when you present yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. It's a one-time commitment or should be a one-time commitment that you don't take back. The problem with a living sacrifice is a living sacrifice can jump off the altar anytime they want to. Okay, so this is a decision you have to make. Transformation happens when you do your part. God does His part in transforming, but the key word here is being transformed. Metamorphosis is basically where we get the word from. Okay, It's kind of like a caterpillar. I've heard this illustration from, from scholars. It's like a caterpillar. He goes into the cocoon. He comes out a butterfly. 
The problem with the church is this. We like cocoon living. We like being, I know I can be this, but I love the comfort of my cocoon. It's warm. It's safe. I never have to get out of my comfort zone. But do you want to be transformed? I'm not talking about being born again. I'm talking about being transformed. Notice what Paul says. He challenges the church in Rome. And he says this in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, church. Do not be conformed to this world, which means you can be. What that means is there's something on the outside happening that is not the same as on the inside. You're two different people. You're not, you're not living on the outside what you have on the inside. That's what the word conform means. Do not be conformed to this world, notice, but be transformed. And here's how you're transformed. This is the only way you're transformed after salvation. By the renewing of your mind. Christianity is a learning, thinking faith. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's why. That you may prove or test what is that good. Now notice God's will here. This is, up to you. This is for you. Okay? This is for me as individuals. That you may test or prove that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So God's will for your life, Christian, is good, acceptable, and is perfect. So God's will for your individual life, whatever that is, and like Amanda said, you don't have to be a missionary, you can be a school teacher. The people who transformed my life or helped my life as a young person, growing up the way I did, were school teachers, ball coaches. I thank God for every one of them. That was their mission field. Probably Jamie Steele was their mission field. Thank you, teachers. God bless you. The public school system was good for Jamie Steele back in the day. Very good for me. It was a safe place. It was a good place because I had teachers like Amanda Simpson who saw their job more than just teaching and going home. So school teachers, God bless every one of you. Okay? What is God's will for your life? I can't tell you. I cannot tell you. You'll never find God's will for your life or know God's will, ultimate will for your life, unless your mind is being renewed and you're being transformed. That is something that God does as you do. Okay? Understand that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, this book that we hold in our hands is so powerful. It is living. We're re our minds are renewed as we spend time in your word, whether we sing it, hear it, pray it, or read it. Meditate on it. Father, our faith is a growing faith. We'll, we'll never fully, this word transform doesn't mean that we'll be fully transformed ever. It's a process. But Father, so many of us are like the caterpillar. We know that you've destined us for something better that could change the world, but we love living in our cocoons. God, help us to break forth this morning to be more than we believe we could ever be. Lord, your will for our life, whatever it is, is good, acceptable, and perfect. Father, thank you today for this opportunity to meet together. For everyone listening here today, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts, and I pray that we'd submit and surrender to your will. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Show this picture on the screen. Last week, Kyle, who was a physical therapist, moved to Southern Asia or South Asia. Okay, 
left a good practice, goes to South Asia because God had called him to be a missionary. The reason you can support and Kyle can stay on, mission, on the mission field is because of this lady right here, Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon, back in the 1900s, went to China to be a missionary. When she was in China, China experienced severe drought, severe famine. Uh, Lottie Moon gave of her personal finances and resources to the people of China. She would come back to the States and talk to the mission board. Say, we've got to raise more money for missionaries, then we need more missionaries in China. You have to raise more money. Sadly, at that time, like it is oftentimes, the mission board is, was in debt, couldn't send a whole lot. She used her personal finances, her personal food. When Lottie Moon died in 1912, she weighed 50 pounds. Okay? She, she has literally changed Southern Baptist missions. This little, this little lady right here. Because she followed God's will for her life. Everybody's not called to go overseas. As Amanda said, I'm not. I'm not called to go over there. I'm called to be here. So, listen. But she almost didn't make it to China. Why? Because she fell in love with an army chaplain. Now think about that. He liked Mission Field too. But something happened to him while she was gone. Guess what happened? He got educated. And he stopped believing in this book right here. He stopped believing in the doctrines of faith. He stopped believing. He got liberal in his theology. And Lottie Moon said, I love Jesus. There was a conflict of interest because the minds, their minds were totally different. Listen to what Lottie Moon said. She finally left him. Good job, Lottie Moon. Somebody asked her, she said, were you ever in love? And she said, yes, but God had first claim on my life. And since the, the two conflicted, there could be no question about the result. Lottie Moon changed the world. We don't even remember who that dude is. All right? One man put it this way. For those who are single and wanting to serve God your entire life, there is something worse than being single. Now listen to me. For those who are single and wanting to serve God your entire life, there is something worse than being single. For those of you that have been through divorce and you're still divorced, there's something worse than being single. Now listen to this. This, this, this will help you. Being married to someone who does not wholeheartedly love Jesus. Lottie Moon said, I'd rather be in China, single, than be in America, married to a man I love, because his thinking and his faith is different than mine. Do not be unequally yoked, the Bible says. How does she get to that point? Because she thought biblically and she thought Christianly, if you want to use that word. H.B. Charles started off his sermon on Romans 12, 2, and he's a great preacher. He said this, The mind is our only place. Listen to what he says. The mind is our only place of personal privacy. Isn't that true? Nobody knows your thoughts but the Lord. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that nobody in the world, men, aren't you thankful your wives don't know your thoughts all the time? Ladies, we know. We know. Aren't you thankful that your husband doesn't always know your thoughts? Okay. The mind is the only place of total personal privacy. It is that territory no other person can invade. As a result, listen to this. What, listen to what he says. It's so, it's so awesome. He says, we tend to be very much ourselves in our minds. We do not have to put up a facade to anyone or a facade to anyone. It is where immoral fantasies and schemes can play out in intimate detail. Thoughts of revenge, jealousy, lingering anger, and envy can go unchecked with freedom. In contrast, our mind can be a place where we seek to enjoy the pleasures of purity and devise plans to serve, help, and heal. 
It is where we can embrace, memorize Scripture and meditate on His Word and His ways. Our minds can pray and commune with the Lord on a constant basis. Aren't you thankful? You don't even have to mouth words because God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. Your mind. Our minds can pray and commune with the Lord on a constant basis. Our thoughts can be a temple where we offer sacrifices of praise and worship to our God. What a powerful thing the mind is. You can do that at work. You don't have to say a word, but you can worship the Lord. Our minds are a powerful force for good or evil. Is it no wonder God's Word teaches us that a changed life begins with a changed mind? Paul wrote in Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of life begins and is defined by how we think and what we think about and what we decide in the confines of our thoughts. God wants our minds, Christian. God wants your mind. He calls us to think His thoughts after Him and to conform our thoughts to His will and His way. One of the greatest commandments is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The heart and mind go together. The first thing Paul would tell us this morning is this, as a church and as Christians, do not be conformed to this world. God's continual charge. Notice the verse on the screen. The Bible says this, and do not be conformed to this world. In the Old and the New Testament, God consistently told His people not to be conformed to the world around them. Listen, in, in Deuteronomy, God says through Moses, When you enter the land which the Lord God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. In the New Testament, Paul says this, And do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a, a believer with an unbeliever, and what agreement has a temple of God with idols? Do not be yoked together, he says. Do not, why? Because your minds are different. Ephesians 4, 17, Paul says to the Greco-Roman world, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. He says, I got bad thinking. James would say this about the world. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted by the world. In chapter 4, the Lord's brother says this, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. Peter would say this as obedient children, do not be conformed, there's the word, to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. And then John says this after he leaves Patmos in his 90s, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what is the world? Do not be conformed to this world. MacArthur put it this way, what is the world? The world is simply fallen thinking, fallen ideas. Ideas that belong to the kingdom of darkness. It is the floating mass of ungodly ideas and behaviors that are separated from and hostile to the will of God. You will never worship the way you should worship if you're being conformed, molded to, and stamped by the image of the world. H.B. Charles said this, Christianity is a battleground, not a playground. The Christian has three enemies of the soul, and John tells us this. It's the, it's the Bermuda Triangle of the soul, the flesh, the devil, and he says the world. Paul presents the world here as a key threat to our attempts to live as a Christian. The world is the present age in contrast to the age to come. Satan, Paul calls Satan in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world. 
J.B. Phillips paraphrased this verse this way, Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Do not be, look, conformed. Look at the word conformed. In the Greek, Paul used this word. It combines a, a negative participle with the present imperative, which conveys the sense of stop doing this. So he, he said it's happening to you in Rome. Stop allowing the world to conform you into its mold. The verb speaks. Now listen to this. Look at the word again, conformed. Because he's writing to Christians. You are born again. That's what Paul's saying. You're born again, and I'm telling you as a born again Christian not to be conformed to this world. And, he's, and he, the present imperative says it's happening now. And he's saying this, stop doing this. This verb speaks of an outward conforming which is external and does not represent what is on the inside. Did you catch that? This verb speaks of an outward conforming which is external and does not represent what is on the inside. Okay? So when a believer conforms to the fallen world standards, this external does not represent the new creation on the inside of the believer. It means an outward expression that does not reflect really what's on the inside. We see it in the Old Testament and the New. Remember David running from Saul? One of, it, one of, their, big, one of their worst enemies of all time were the Philistines. When, when David was running from Saul, he stopped thinking biblically, and he started thinking like the world. Now listen to what he says. In, in 1 Samuel, it says, But David thought to himself, this is the man that was going to be king. He thought. The mind is a battleground. And I would say this, the mind is a terrible thing to waste, right? David thought, what was David thinking at this time? One of these days, I'll be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Wrong. God had already told him, you're going to be king. And through your line, he anointed him as a shepherd. And then he killed Goliath. He says, you come at me with a spear and a sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. What he's saying is this, I'm immortal till, till God's done with me. You're not going to kill me. I'm going to be king. The Messiah's line is coming through me. But at this moment in time, when life got hard, he was being chased by Saul. David thought to himself. He thought. See? He started thinking. He started thinking. He says, one of these days I'll be destroyed by the hand of Saul, which was a lie. He did not trust God's promise at this time in his life. The best thing, this is David talking, the best thing I can do, the best thing I can do, listen to this, is escape to the land of the Philistines. I've counseled so many Davids in my life. You just want to beat your head up against the door. What are you doing in Philistine, bro? What are you, what are you doing in Philistine? What are you doing? Well, I feel like it's the best place for me at this time. What are you thinking? That's David. David thought to himself, Saul's going to kill me. I'll go to the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I'll slip out of his hand. So David, now listen. So David, with the 600 men with him, left and went over to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him. So David led 600 men not counting women and children, to live in Philistine. And that's sad. Why? Because his thinking was messed up. He conformed to the world around him. What about Peter? Whenever he was following Jesus, Peter said, Lord, I'll go with you anywhere. And Jesus said, by the time night falls, the cock's going to crow three times. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, I will not do it. Now listen to this. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then Peter says this. Then he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them and said, I do not know the man. He denied Jesus. He calls on God as his witness and pronounces a curse of death on himself. This was Peter. 
be conformed to the world. And what Jesus did after the resurrection, he goes to Peter and says, Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Passing that three times. Because God, Jesus knew in that moment what happened on the outside was not who was on the inside. That's what the word conform means. So many Christians leave the church in Monday through, th- through Saturday. They live a life that is not what's on the inside of them. Why? Because you've conformed to the pattern of this world. You've conformed. The Bible says do not be conformed, but point number two is this. It's real simple. But be transformed. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. Notice the verse in verse 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice the word transform. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's where we get the word for transfiguration. Notice three things about this word. Paul uses the present tense. This is not an off, on again, off again, transformation. It's a continuous one. You'll never be completely transformed. It's in the present tense. Be transformed today. Don't worry about yesterday. Be transformed today. This verb is passive. The implication being that the catalyst and the transformation is God. You can't transform yourself. But God works with you when you do something. The verb is imperative. That's important. The verb is imperative, indicating that we do indeed have a responsibility. God will not make you do this, but if you do it, he'll transform your life. Aren't you glad you got choices? Every day you wake up, you got a choice to serve God or not. That's why it goes along with verse 1. You present your body a living sacrifice. You're not conformed to this world. But be transformed, the Bible says, by the renewing of your mind. Listen, this is after salvation. This is what you do. Many Christians are living a defeated, depressed, down and out lives. Many are not experiencing God's best and don't have a clue about God's will because they're not being transformed. One of the most dangerous and hazardous exercises a Christian can do, if you're not in God's word, is just to think. Just to think. Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great command. This spiritual transformation takes place. We're transformed in our mind. Paul said this, Finally, brothers, this is how you think. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. That word renew means it's a complete renovation of thought. You've got to have your thinking completely altered. It's all about the mind. It's not about the emotion. It's all about the mind. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul says this, You must have the mind of Christ. To the church at Colossae, Paul says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you and your faith, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He says, you're thinking and you're growing. The battlefield is the mind. Renewing your mind is always a battle. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now listen to what one commentator said here. Paul pictures himself in a war effort. In, in his case, however, the battle is being fought on a spiritual front. And spiritual warfare requires spiritual weaponry, which Paul readily deploys. What distinguishes his weapons from those of the world can be summed up in one word, power. He says, but mighty or power in God for pulling down strongholds. The weapons Paul fights with have divine power, and as a result can accomplish what the world's weapons cannot, which means this, to demolish strongholds. What does that mean? Paul uses a Greek word, which means a military term for a fortified place. And one scholar says, the picture is of an army attacking and tearing down the fortified defenses of the enemy. In the ancient world, a prosperous city would build 
not only a stout wall for its security, but also somewhere inside the wall, a fortified tower that could be defended by relatively few soldiers. If the walls of the city were breached by an enemy, once the stronghold was taken, the battle was over. And Paul is saying you need to attack the strongholds in your mind. The strongholds that lay weapon and lay siege to us are arguments, he says, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive. That means to take it a prisoner to the obedience of Christ. So your thoughts can be your worst enemy. You take your thoughts captive, okay? Here's some of the things when I do counseling. I'll hear people say, born-again Christians, I think I'm lost. Why? Why do you think you're lost? Why do you think you're lost? Your faith is in the resurrected Christ. Why do you think you're lost? Because you had two months, a season of sin? Well, the Bible says you're not lost, that you're eternally secure until Jesus Christ comes back. He who started a good work and you will finish it until the day of redemption. Okay, you got to take that thought captive. I am not worthy. I hear that so many times. Then why did God allow your mom to give birth to you if you're not worthy? If, he, if, if every child is a gift from God and if your mother gave birth to you and you're alive and breathing, God has something, a plan for your life. Okay? I'm not worthy. I'm, 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 I'm a failure. I'm all these things. Take your thoughts captive. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do we do that? What is Paul talking about here? You must, listen to this, this is going to be life-changing for some of you. You must read the Bible. Honestly, think, think this with me. Now, we're talking about being transformed and knowing God's will for your life, which leads to obedience, at least to God's will, and at least to God's blessings, okay? How many of you honestly, honestly, this past week, not counting today, but the six days before, honestly spent any time at all in your Bible? Don't raise your hand. Honestly. What about the week before that? What about the week before that? And then what about the week before that? Now, you have an incredible book that will change your life. It is so powerful that God compared it to tools. He called his word a hammer to straighten us out. He called it a sword, which means it can cut to the deepest parts of your soul. He called it a scalpel where it says it can take off the bad parts. Only God's word can do that. He called it food, okay? He calls his word milk, water, bread, meat. We are surrounded by Bibles, are we not? Right there is my iPhone 10s Max or whatever it is. I got 75 translations on my phone. Not counting the probably about 150 Bible commentaries. I got four, I got four books in my office, commentaries on Romans that are that thick each, but I have probably about 20 on my phone. All right? I have no excuses for not having a transformed mind. What excuse do you have? Listen, listen to these stats when we talk about the Bible. Okay? 88 to 92% of every American household has at least one Bible. I grew up lost and had a Bible. Gideon's gave us a Bible at school. My mom had a family Bible that was that thick. It had pictures in it. We had a Bible. 80% of the people think the Bible is sacred. They think this is a holy book. 80% of us think that. The average household in America today has 4.4 Bibles. The number one seller, there's no close second, is the Bible every year in America. Okay, think about this. The majority of people, 57%, only read their Bibles four times a year or less. Think about this. The majority of people, 57%, only read their Bibles four times a year or less. Now let's look at verse 2 again. And do not be conformed to this world. You're being conformed because you're not in the Word. 
be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's not taking place, and you do not know God's will because you're not in His Word. You can't be. It's impossible. 26% of Americans said they read their Bible on a regular basis four or more times a week. 26% of the church read their Bibles four or more times per week. No wonder the church believes what the church believes. Younger people also seem to be moving away from the Bible. A majority, 57% of those ages 18 to 28, read their Bibles less than three times a year, if at all. Any wonder? Any wonder? Why college students believe the crazy stuff they believe? Any wonder? Any wonder why, why, why 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28-year-olds year olds can't keep their marriage together? Is there any wonder? Does anyone wonder why they're in so much credit card debt? Blame everybody else for their problems? Is there any wonder why you see young people not doing anything for the glory of God? Now some, a portion are. There's a portion of this that are and are doing wonderful things, probably even more so than most churches are. But does anyone wonder why the majority, according to, uh, according to stats, a majority, 57% is a large majority, never read their Bible, and never do anything for the glory of God. And believe what, listen to what evangelicals believe. A study was done this year. Evangelicals means us. Listen to what evangelicals believe, okay? 31% say science disproves the Bible of evangelicals. Crazy talk. 33%, listen to this, say gender is a choice. I don't know about you. I don't even remember the day I was born. I know it happened because I'm here. I had no choice over my gender. Jesus said in the beginning, God made them male and female, and that hadn't changed. Hadn't changed. Science confirms it. 33% of people that go to church every Sunday believe that gender is a choice. Is that not crazy? Is that the craziest thing you've ever... If that's the craziest thing you ever heard, raise your hand. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. That you being a man can choose whether or not you're a man. No, you can't. All right? When I was eight years old, I may have shared this with you before, I thought I was Superman. I put a towel around my neck and tied it. And we had an upstairs at my grandma's house. And I told grandma, I said, listen, grandma. She said, where are you going, James? She called me James. The only person in the world that called me James was both my grandparents. I said, I'm going upstairs, jump out the window, I'm Superman. Grandma said, why don't you try jumping off the porch first? I said, all right. Jumped off the porch, ate some grass. I said, grandma, I ain't Superman. Took my, took my towel off. I wasn't Superman. What if she had said, if that's how you feel, go jump off the porch. Just jump off the second floor here and die. Isn't it amazing? In today's society, we have adults saying, if you're an eight-year-old and you're a male and you feel like you're a female, you can go ahead and be a female. Well, 33% of the church believes that. Is that not crazy? There's something even worse than that, if that's not as, as, as strange as you can believe. 38% of the church believes that Jesus is not God, which means you can't even be born again. 38% of people that said in evangelical churches would say this, Jesus is not God, which means, number one, they got terrible preachers. And if you have a pastor that preaches that, why don't you leave the church? Leave that church in a heartbeat. And then, can you not read the Bible for yourself? Apparently you're not. 62% of evangelicals say the Holy Spirit is a force. That's Star Wars, people. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Person. Not an it, not a force. 
75% of evangelicals say God created Jesus later in eternity. And that is blasphemy. Now let's look at verse 2 again. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is not happening. What a sad state of affair. The only way transformation occurs is the renewing of the mind. This is the only way to prove God's will or even know it. So don't be conformed to this world. Real simple outline. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and test or prove what God's will is. And notice number three, what God's will is. God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Notice the last part of the verse, and I'll hurry, that you may prove. Look at the word prove. It means to test. It's like they would do with medals in those days. They would say the medals. They would prove it or test what quality it was. That you as an individual, look at the word you, that's you, may prove what is that. Notice the word good. Notice this definition of good up here on the screen, if you'll move that over. Good means, in the Greek here, winsome, attractive, beautiful, richly satisfying. That's God's will for your life. To, in, 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 in the big scheme of things. Now, Paul died in prison, and to God, it was winsome, attractive, beautiful, and richly satisfying. And Paul surrendered to it. It doesn't mean everything's going to go good in your life. It's also acceptable, which means pleasing to me, and it's pleasing to God. It means this. The word means a proper fit. It means that which causes someone to be pleased. It is something which is well-approved, eminently satisfactory, or extraordinarily pleasing. Pleasing. You, it's, it's what you were meant to do. And then you can't improve on perfect. It means according to design, maximizing our fullest potential and fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. It literally means having to reach the goal or end, which was originally intended, is often translated mature, complete. One pastor put it this way, God's will is perfect. In it, there is no spot, no stain, no weakness, no error, no instability. It is and indeed must be necessarily be as perfect as God himself, for it emanates from him who is all perfection and is a discovery of his mind and character. Michael Jordan's dad said this before he died. Michael Jordan couldn't do anything else. He wouldn't be good at anything else on the planet because God made him to play basketball. I don't know. He was good at basketball. I don't know. Listen, there is something in your life that God has made for you. It is good, acceptable, and perfect. Good, acceptable, and perfect. You'll never realize that until you stop being conformed by the world and you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. If I have a heart attack after I pray today and die, it's good, acceptable, and perfect. I ain't worried about it too much. Not worried about it too much. I trust God better than I trust my Monday. See, some of you think you're God of your Monday. You're not. It, it, God's will for your life is good, acceptable, and perfect. There, all things work together for good, right? God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you understand or know what God's will for your life is? Next week, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Verses 3 through um, 8 talk about spiritual gifts. That is a supernatural thing that God gives each believer. Based on your time, your talents, your personality based on your skill, based on what God can do in and through you, they're, they're supernatural. And many people sit in churches every week never using their spiritual gifts in their church or in their community. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Why? Because they're being conformed by the world and they're not being transformed by the renewing of their mind. So notice this last slide up here. I've got to ask you this question. How is your thinking? How is your thinking? 
You know how to change your mind? Listen to me. I'm just being honest with you. Take out God's Word, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We call it the Bible. It's really just called the book. The Holy Book. The only book. The only book worthy of reading. Really worthy of reading. Make a commitment today. This will be life-changing for you. I did this basically the night I got saved. The next morning I started this. Even though I don't understand everything about it, I don't care. Hey, I got commentaries I'll let you borrow. Okay, I may even give them to you if I like you. All right? Re- look, stop reading Max Lucado books, even though they're good. Throw away your cheesy devotionals, which most of the verses they have in devotionals are taken out of context anyway. And open up John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and read the Gospels. You'll be amazed at how much God will change your life. And then when you come to church, you won't fall asleep. You'll be like, give me exposition of Scripture. You know, whatever you think of Kanye West, I like hearing what quote-unquote popular people say about the Bible. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and I listen to Joe from time to time. And he said this, you know, I think it's neat when a, when a person can take the Bible, read one verse, and preach for two hours. But he said, you know what I love? It's when a man will take the Bible and exposit Scripture. Exposit Scripture and just tell me what the Bible means. Exposit Scripture. You know what we do here? He says we exposit Scripture. You know what you do when you read the Bible? If, if, if you learn it enough, you can exposit Scripture yourself. Because God wrote a book, and it's powerful. It's life-changing, and it will change your life if you read it. Men and women have died for this book. Isn't that amazing? They smuggle it into China. They give it to an underground church. And we have four or five in our home. We have 75 translations on our phones and how much time do you spend in God's Word every day? I challenge you today, regardless of your age, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you won't have to ask your preacher what God's will for your life is. It'll just flow. It'll flow. For, most, for the early part of my Christian life, the things I tried to do was like putting a square peg in a round hole. You know why? That's not what God's called me to do. He didn't. He's not calling me to do it. He's calling me to do what I'm doing right now. And I fought that as much as I could. I liked living in the cocoon. It was easy. Taking notes, sitting on the pew, I loved it. I would go out and visit and witness and do all those things. But God said, that's not my ultimate plan for your life. Okay? It's probably not God's plan for your life and be thankful. All right? Whatever God's plan for your life is, do it. But you will never do it unless you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. First and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. The mind, my friends, is a terrible, terrible thing to waste. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for your grace. We want to thank you for your mercy. We want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, what a blessed book. Father, when I was in Haiti, people would fight over the Bible, if you had one. Lord, we're so blessed in America to have the Bible. The Bible is everywhere on our computer, on our iPads, on our phones, Lord, in our hands. Father, thank you so much for the Word. Father, we can listen to the preached Word 24 hours a day on the radio or online. Father, help us to be not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Father, evangelicals are believing blasphemy, many of us today, because of this very thing. 
Many Christians are living defeated lives, believing the lies of the devil, allowing Satan to build strongholds in their mind because they, do, they are not being transformed by the renewing of their mind. So, Father, I pray today that, Lord, these individuals, all of us today, would submit and surrender to your will, and, Lord, that we would make a, make a commitment today to spend time every day in your word. Father, this is not legalism. This is just being logical. And Father, only then and only then can we truly worship you and present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So Father, I pray that we'd say yes to you today. Father, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, Lord, today is the day of salvation. Your word says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord in faith will be born again. And I pray that you gloriously save those that you would save. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, Amen. Well, God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. And just want to remind you again,